it's time for a wintry, snowy edition of Fighting for the Faith. All right, the, living in the Midwest. Oh, man. Yeah, for, for the first time ever, I've experienced whiteout conditions. I mean, this thing that's blowing through the northern part of the Midwest. Holy guacamole. <laughs> We've got, like, winds at 60 miles an hour with snow. It's... I, feel like I'm in a white hurricane. It's crazy. All right, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. All right, listen, uh, I, I'm a Southern California boy. And Southern Californians, we just, well... Um, we don't get snow. It's just one of the things that happens. And when you spend, you know, uh, pretty much the first 40 years of your life in Southern California, um, I had a small stint in Seattle, you know, which it rained there and it did snow, but not, not like this. <laughs> Whew. Yeah, this is a, this is a new experience for me. Uh, I mean, talk about high winds, horizontal snow, a lot of it, and things got so bad earlier today. Uh, you just could you could not see uh, in front of you when you're driving down the street. Just uh, one of those weird things. Just had to share that with you. Fuzzy bunny slippers for sure are absolutely mandatory for anyone listening to Fighting for the Faith uh, north of the Mason-Dixon line, and uh, especially if you're in the uh, in the Midwest. I mean, Illinois, Chicago, Indiana, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, <laughs> Iowa, you know, if <laughs> it's... Whew. Anyway, and, and apparently where, where I'm at, we're not even getting the worst of it. And, you know, I, I'm just marveling at the whole thing. I, if you've ever heard like those wintry sound effects, you know, of what a, a blizzard sounds like with a, you know, and I had no idea that the, that was really authentic. <laughs> That's what it really sounds like. Whew. Anyway, yeah, uh, so um, kind of miserable out there. I mean, it, I, it, it's not very fun having snowflakes fly in your face at 60 miles an hour. So just thought I'd share that all with you. I, I don't know why I wanted to share that all with you. It's just I, I want those of you who have never lived in the Midwest to experience this vicariously through me, uh, being that I'm a newbie when it comes to this whole thing. And looking forward to uh, trying out my brand new snow shovel. <laughs> Hopefully we won't get accumulations that much, but you just, you know, anyway. <sighs> All right. <laughs> moving along, moving along, aside from my complete shock at what I'm experiencing here. Got a good program lined up for you today. I uh, got a couple of emails I want to read regarding uh, kind of the, your listener feedback on the whole uh, Perry Noble thing. And... Uh, Keep, don't worry, even if I've read uh, some emails on this program, I get the feeling based upon the emails that I'm getting that I'm going to end up reading a few more. And then do you remember that gentleman, a uh, kid from a, a couple weeks ago, We we uh, I did a twin spin sermon review, young pastor uh, in uh, in Frisco, Texas, uh, and he, was, he had a pretty d- decent grasp of law and gospel, and he was uh, uh, preaching at a United Methodist church. 
Well, he he's no longer with that church, and uh, I, I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody. Let's just say that there was an incompatibility with his uh, f- uh, approach to philosophy of of ministry to what's going on in the greater United Methodist Church, and as a result of it, he, he's now... Um, free to look for another position and play for somebody else's team. I'm going to be interviewing him on the program today. Uh, a couple of reasons why. Number one, I like this kid. Um, he, he understands long gospel. He understands, um, he understands the, the Christian message, the Christian gospel that we have to proclaim is Christ and him crucified for our sins. And, and I'll tell you this, he's not done learning how, you know, he's got a lot of education still ahead of him. Uh, and at the same time, he has a heart for ministry and wants to serve in the church. And so I'm going to be interviewing him with the hopes that uh, that uh, those of you who are listening, uh, that uh, your church uh, hires ministry staff uh, with the qualifications that uh, Scott has. Um, but I know I have a lot of uh, listeners that are not part of the Missouri Senate. You guys are attending uh, different types of churches. And as a result of it, if you're looking for uh, somebody who understands the gospel, is eager to, to uh, feed uh, God's word uh, to God's sheep and to preach Christ and him crucified, this is a fine young man. And just I'm impressed by him and impressed, impressed by the chutzpah that he had to, uh, you know, to, you know, to preach the gospel in what is really a very liberal uh, church. And uh, it, it just, you know, I'm excited for the interview with him. So got some email and then uh, we got uh, a, a couple of news stories I want to tackle. One regarding uh, uh, the uh, head of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Just He just recently had a, a town hall meeting. We're going to look at the news uh, coverage on that. I'm, I'm tracking down audio on that. I might end up reviewing portions of that in a future edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm just not prepared to do that, but I want to preliminary discuss it. And then I got news out of Canada that pastor who had been uh, brought up on hate, chi- uh, hate crimes charges for uh, publishing a uh, an op, you know, basically a letter to the editor. He had sent in a letter to the editor that was basically critical critical of homosexuality on biblical grounds he was uh, being sued on of uh, you know for hate crimes and crimes against humanity and it got news uh, uh, regarding that story and uh, and then i have some persecution news if we have time for it and then in the second hour our sermon review today is going to be another ghost of christmas sermons past uh, sermon review and uh, the whole goal of when we do the ghosts of christmas sermons past we're examining how seeker driven churches have handled uh, uh, preaching during the Christmas season. And uh, this one comes to us via Brick City Community Church. And uh, the name of the sermon series is uh, YouTube Christmas. That that would be a, it, an entire Christmas series based upon the songs of the rock group U2. And uh, the, the sermon that we're going to be reviewing is entitled Vertigo. I am not making that up. So our Ghost of Christmas Sermons past is going to be taking a look at the uh, U2 Christmas Sermon Series from Brick City Community Church. And so we've got lots of ground to cover today. And with that, we're going to dive right into email. And uh, Kate writes me, and I'm not sure where Kate's from. She didn't put her town uh, or city or state or anything like that. But she says, uh, she says Chris, I just finished a uh, just finished up listening to the latest podcast. It blew my mind. I, I had a very, very brief look through the uh, pajamapages.com website, and clearly Professor Duncan is suffering from some quite intense persecution from members of Newspring. Personally, I feel that whatever Perry Noble and Jason Wilson did or did not know, 
their only reasonable actions as Christian pastors at this point is to openly condemn all the perpetrators and those who stood by applauding. That this does not seem to have been done speaks volumes about their own lives. Yeah, it, you know, it does, uh, Kate. That's really um, the, the problem there. And that is, is that um, we've gotten, we've received, you know, some kind of an update from the church, an announcement of you, if uh, if you would, uh, announcing the you know that that there was some in, inappropriate behavior and that uh, you know somebody had been let go, but there's on the part of Perry Noble and New Spring Church there has been no public rebuke, no public. Uh, you know, distancing themselves from the from what happened, no public publicly calling it a sin and saying that what happened is not in accord with with biblical doctrine, sound biblical teaching, uh, or even Christian sanctification. None of that. Just it's more or less uh, what's been released by the church has been uh, a political statement, if you would, spin control. And I do think that that speaks volumes. All right, got another email here, and that is uh, from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And he's and uh, this is a f- fantastic uh, look at this uh, at this particular issue. Uh, Pastor Charmley writes. He says, "I listened to the whole sorry mess about Perry Noble last night. Although the sorry mess he calls a sermon, uh, some thoughts follow. First of all, the man has not changed enough. Why do I say that? Because the abrasive tone of the if you're not with me, you're evil' attitude and the legalism of bad fundamentalism is still there." Now, before I read any more of Pastor Charmley's uh, email, I, I, I want to keep some. I want you all to keep something in mind. When we talk about fundamentalism, we can talk about fundamentalism in really two strains. Uh, you could talk about historic fundamentalism, which was theologically rigorous uh, in defending uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, in defending the virgin birth of Christ, miracles, Christ's penal substitutionary death on the cross for our sins. And his return in glory to judge both the living and the dead. Those would be the you know the the kind of the heart and soul of of uh, the fundamentalist movement, which was headed by men like B.B. Warfield, J. Gresham Machen, and uh, even though the uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was behind their mighty fortress, when uh, in in what really wasn't front and center in the public eye, they too were fighting uh, the 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 liberals in the Missouri Synod. And when you look at the uh, the articles from the uh, the early 20th century editions of the uh, Lutheran Theological Quarterly that Concordia Publishing House was publishing at the time, uh, you have greats like A.L. Grabner and others writing against modernist liberalism too. So the idea is is that fundamentalism in its early days was um, was really theologically rigorous in terms of defending orthodoxy against liberal heresy. Unfortunately, it's degenerated into something else. And so when Pastor Charmley here is talking about bad fundamentalism, what he's referring to is that that stifling pietistic legalism and uh, the almost political thing that goes along with it. That would, you know, the, it, and so when he's referring to fundamentalism here, he's referring to the fundamentalism that it has degenerated into, not what it originally was. So that, with that in mind, let me read a little bit more of this email. Anyways, he says, so uh, he says, because he hasn't changed enough because of the abrasive tone of the if you're not with me, your evil attitude and the legalism of bad fundamentalism is still there. As a friend of mine said to me, 
The thing about modern-day fundamentalism is that it's not much fun, there's too much damn, and it's all a bit mental. It is, by way, my thesis that the modern-day fundamentalist movement is a caricature of the original version. To give an example, there are those who maintain that the King James Bible is the only inspired word of God. One of the uh, leaders in that movement, a crazy old bat called Gail Ripplinger, has described B.B. Warfield as a liberal. (laughs) If B.B. Warfield is a liberal, then I'm a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. Come on. (laughs) Wow. He says, Warfield, of course, was a contributor to the fundamentals. Uh, By the way, that's one of the things we're going to be adding to the uh, Pirate Christian Cove is we're going to be adding some of the theological, uh, the original articles from the, uh, the, the original stuff that the, uh, that appeared in the fundamentals, you know, basically a, a, a testimony to the truth. Fantastic articles. Uh, if, uh, Pastor Chumley continues, this says, fundamentalism also encourages a personality cult around, uh, around the monarchical pastor. That is one of my objections to the multi-site church, if, it, if that isn't an oxymoron, which it is. It adds to the cult of personality, and therefore it ends up making it all about the man on the stage, or rather on the screen, not the man in the Bible. That would be Jesus Christ. Good point, Pastor Charmley. Fundamentalism, again, I, uh, fundamentalism, again, I remember I'm, I'm talking about the modern caricature here, severely discourages criticism of pastor, who is in practice accountable to no one, the pastor becomes, in effect, the congregational pope. The multi-site thing uh, uh, means that instead of having to control other men to preach under him, he can beam his pontifications to other congregations in person. I know that there are such things as tyrannical deacons and elders, but please, a pastor has to be accountable. Fundamentalism encourages a mentality that any means are acceptable to, to to defeat opponents, and demonizing critics is definitely below the belt. A great preacher of the 19th century, R.W. Dale, uh, Birmingham, England, warned that, quote, we have no right to secure the condemnation of the basest criminals by menacing the jury and bribing the judge. I do not believe in lynch law, even for the worst crimes. It is dangerous to try to cast out devils in the name of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. We shall never fight the battles of heaven to any purpose with arms forged in hell. To attempt to destroy even the most pernicious error by reckless misrepresentation, by appeals to ignorance and blind passion... Um, by weapons poisoned with slander is to repeat the crime of the Jesuits who are credited with sanctioning the assassination of heretical princes. If you touch contra, if you touch controversy, be just, be generous to your opponents. That's R.W. Dale in his nine lectures on preaching. True words indeed, but in modern fundamentalism, you can author a book packed with lies and doctored quotations. Uh, the book I'm thinking of is the New Age Bible versions by Gail Ripplinger, and become a best-selling writer. What is more, your uh, sycophants will attack and vilify anyone who dares to point out that the said book is as full of lies as a fruitcake is a fruit. They, I, the fruit cakes that I've had here in the United States, I don't know if that's real fruit that I've had in them. Maybe they have something different in the UK. Anyways, he says, and what is it about uh, sycophants and accusing the critics of their of their idols of homosexual activity? Because I had a Ripplinger sycophant do the same thing to me through, uh, though in a sim- smaller way. Wow, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Uh, the, it, it's very interesting that. Um, uh, the Perry Noble's, you know, soldiers who came to his defense, 
uh, one of the things that they did was try to vilify uh, Dr. Duncan by making him out to be a homosexual. What is that? I, Pastor, uh, Pastor Charmley, I really don't know what that is. He says, fundamentalism is all about law, harshly browbeating people and telling them to shape up. Perry Noble does this. Its history goes back to the new measures of Charles G. Finney, who gravely told the churches they had to change in order to create the sort of excitement that that could lead to revivals. I note that Noble, having started off saying you can't control a movement of the spirit, ended up telling churches they needed to stomp on it. Aren't the two things rather contradictory? Oh, don't apply logic here, Pastor Charmley. Don't you understand? Perry Noble's a man of God. <coughs> Hang on. <coughs> that hurt to say. Uh, we continue. To conclude, then, the spirit of a shallow legalistic fundamentalism is alive and well in New Spring Church, and it is that which most needed to be uh, uh, changed in the prevailing model of churches in that part of the world. Perry Noble serves up fundamentalism in an edgy style, but it is fundamentalism for all that. So what needs to change... Sir, we would see Jesus. The gospel needs to be preached. I have no doubt that there are many American Christians suffering from information overload. The trouble is that the wrong, it's the wrong information. It's all biblical principles for such and such, not Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know from experience that if the pastor is going to going too deep for the congregation and confusing them, they will tell him usually via an elder or a deacon. They actually want to be fed. Perry, uh, they actually want to be fed, Perry. Perhaps if you came down from your high horse and talked to them, you'd discover that. Fine email. Good job, Pastor Charmley. As always, enjoy your emails. Okay, uh, I'm going to switch gears here and uh, and uh, uh, pull up the uh, the interview I did earlier with uh, Scott Kingsolver, who is formerly an associate pastor of uh, United Methodist Church, uh, there in uh, Frisco, Texas. And here's my interview with uh, Scott Kingsolver. I've got uh, Scott Kingsolver on the uh, on the line here. And if you remember back, uh, it was maybe a week, week and a half ago, we reviewed a couple of his sermons. Uh, Scott uh, Kingsolver was uh, is a young pastor, and uh, he was he was teaching in a uh, United uh, Methodist Church there in uh, in Frisco, Texas. And uh, now he's between jobs, and so I wanted to have him on the program and just just talk talk to him uh, for a little bit. But also, those of you out there who are looking for a young man who is teachable, understands law and gospel, and applies himself to the Scripture, actually believes it, this is a guy you might want to consider uh, taking a look at uh, for your ministry needs. Uh, Scott, thanks for coming on Fighting for the Faith. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. All right, so you're between jobs now, huh? That is correct. That is correct. I'm transitioning out of the uh, one I was in and uh, hopefully moving on pretty uh, soon. All right. Well, you know, what's funny is, is I received a few emails from some of my listeners uh, who were very excited that you were able to preach the uh, the two sermons that you did in, in what is generally considered to be, well, a, a fairly uh, liberal denomination. And uh, and so they were praying for you, and now you're between uh, positions. And I think I should let you know you're you're probably not really uh, a good liberal Methodist. <laughs> I, I I've been told that more than one occasion. I'd probably uh, definitely agree with that. <laughs> uh, I hate to say it, but uh, so- somebody got a hold of you, and you've joined the Reformation. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, it's exciting that you were able to uh, to preach those sermons. By the way, good job on those, and I, I hope I wasn't too hard on you on my sermon reviews. 
Oh, no, no, no. I actually really, really appreciate the feedback that uh, you gave. And, uh, you know, it was um, a lot of things you were saying I was agreeing with right, you know, right after even probably preach most of the sermon, um, you know, that, that night when I was thinking about it, you know, being a first couple, you're nervous, you're just hoping that um, you don't stumble with too many words uh, as it is, you know, kind of the physical, just normal kind of speaking, and then on top of that, you're trying to make sure that you say everything you want to say, so, um, you know, a lot of that was things I definitely agreed with and was uh, grateful to have that honest feedback, so it was well, great. Well, thanks for letting me serve you that way. Now, let me ask you a couple questions here. Um, walk me through your story because you had talked about in, in one of your sermons how you had gone to college thinking, buying into this moralistic therapeutic deism and, uh, and, and you've, you've had a, a profound uh, change of direction in your thinking. Walk me through some of that. Um, well, you know, I grew up um, in, a, in a house where, you know, uh, Christ- my parents are, are Christians, and um, they, you know, took us to church, and uh, we did all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, you hear it a lot. Um, but as growing up, I really just, I enjoyed more of the moralism of it, you know, being a nice person. I always, I always thought being the right, doing the right kind of thing was, you know, good to do, and um, I, I uh, uh, liked people who, you know, did the right kind of stuff. And, um, but that was really basically really what it was for me, was just being a good person. Um, and like I said, uh, enjoyed the holidays for what Jesus brought because I got presents and stuff like that. So that was nice. Um, but that really all was for me. And, you know, praying for me was just when I needed stuff when I was in, when I was in trouble. You know, I thought, oh, God was there to help me. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a butler if you, or a bodyguard kind of. Um, Jesus so I, is my bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that was kind of you know uh, you know if you thought oh somebody doesn't like me, uh, God help me get out of this situation or help me you know, I don't want to fail my you know biology test so you know, help me with that but, you know that was that was the maturity level I, I was pretty much at okay. um, as, as a young person so uh, I go up to uh, college and um, just you know think a normal kind of college experience and God brought some people in my uh, life um, actually I went up there. Lived with a uh, a friend from high school, which is never a very good idea, I guess. But um, it was it was okay. But uh, he actually met some people at an orientation kind of thing who ended up uh, meeting me. And, and uh, you know, they always I've heard a lot of pastors say that was some of their first experiences with other conversion was because a girl invited them to church. And sure enough, um, you know, like a group of girls all invited me to come to a church one night, and that kind of started a process in which I. Uh, began to realize that Christianity I thought I knew um, all my life really wasn't what Christianity was. Um, and at our school, at a public university, um, some of the student ministries there uh, around the time of Easter had what they called Jesus Week. And on campus, they had various uh, things go on, and they actually had um, the uh, uh, ministry that Kurt Cameron's involved with come on campus. Okay, that, and, that's um, the way of the master guys, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, and this is a, this is also the semester, um, or the time of, the, the time of, um, uh, it was near the time when um, the Passion was coming out. Okay. So there was a lot of, you know, kind of a Jesus kind of uh, publicity going on. And it just, and God was really working in my heart, just making me, um, he had people, you know, who would really kind of get in my face in a good way and saying, you, you say you believe all this, but do you really even know what you believe? Are you really, um, I never really thought about it hard and really cared enough about it. And so I really started looking into it on my own. Um, and, you know, they, they were on campus and talking, and I just I heard Christianity in such a way that I, I, I really kind of began to understand what it really was for the first time. Okay. And um, for, the, for the longest time, I never got the whole, why would Jesus die for me? You know, what's this all about? And it was at that point where I realized that 
hey, like everybody else, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness of God and in need of salvation and um, transformation of my soul um, and change my world. And, and you know, we, we use the, the phrase born again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, uh, if you talk to people about stories of their birth or the parents and talk about the birth, birth can take a different number of, of span of time. And mine wasn't a very quick birth. It was more of a long, kind of drawn-out kind of birth. But um, definitely it was kind of a situation where before we realized it, you know, I was like, wow, this, I'm, things are very different. You know, the things of God to me are something that I crave. I, I, I just can't get enough of hearing about Jesus and reading about Jesus, and I love him now. And it was never really before that always I kind of liked Jesus and God's great, but, you know, there was actually a love in my heart that I could never put there myself. Right. And um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where that went. And I was studying um, I was studying uh, broadcast and electronic media in college, um, and I began a religious studies minor because I was like, hey, this stuff is all interesting, and I like debating it with people. I like talking about it with people. Um, there's a lot of people who believe different things, and I want to tell them about Jesus. And in some of these classes, you get that opportunity when we're debating and kind of correcting some misconceptions about Christianity. And I really um, liked uh, that kind of atmosphere. Um, and so my senior year, of course, you're you're finishing up college and you're kind of like, what am I going to do now, you know? And um, I started realizing that the life I kind of was thinking I wanted, um, going into news or doing radio or TV, just wasn't really um, what I felt called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and God works in a way to where he kind of makes you think, you know, I grew up as a kid who didn't really understand church, didn't understand Christianity. I'd really like to help people understand the gospel and, and, and correct those misconceptions and um, make the gospel known clearly to people in such a way that um, so they can understand it and that it's not legalism, it's not license, it's, it's just Christianity as Jesus um, brought it, as, as Scripture reveals it. And um, through the program, um, the director of the program sent out a notice from a church in town. It was a Methodist church, which was my background. That was a young church, and they needed a youth director. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I just I sent the pastor an email saying, hey, can I just get some advice on how to get into this sort of thing? And it turned out to be an interview for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up getting the job and was uh, pastoring there for a year and a half. And I got, I got a chance to tell kids who had been in that church forever the gospel and i remember one night when the first night i was there we were going over some things in the gospel and they were kind of like i've never heard this before in my life yeah and these were kids who were you know well into their teens and uh, so you know it was a great experience and that's kind of from there i um i landed at the church where you, you heard me preaching at um it's where i'm from the dallas area and so that's kind of where i am now and now i'm uh looking for a new uh opportunity to serve the ministry all right so, so long story short you know, yeah yeah or, or long i guess well <laughs> long story long okay good yeah <laughs> all right you know what was interesting is that you and i had the opportunity to talk earlier on the phone today and yeah. and uh and so you've been doing some youth ministry work uh you know, over the past year and a half and uh part of our conversation talked about you know, you know what it is the church has to offer as opposed to you know everybody else. And you yeah. know, we, we were talking about video games and entertainment. And uh, walk me through at least your ministry philosophy. What is it that the church has to offer that uh, no one else has to offer? And then how does that play into 
uh, youth ministry when it seems like uh, the, the the major focus of a lot of youth ministers seems to be just entertainment. Sure. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of um, what makes it difficult for me to sometimes find churches that are fit because um, one of the main uh, philosophies that other people mostly have is this idea of, let's just bring kids in and have them here. And like I told you, a lot of churches have this idea of kids become Christians by osmosis, kind of. Um, that if they're just in the building, if they're around people, um, they'll just somehow become better kids. And a lot of it is just making kids better kids, quote-unquote, in terms of moralism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of them, they just like to entertain them with video games, uh, recreation, a, a personality. There's kind of the Pied Piper kind of mentality of if you get a youth pastor just really cool, then that'll take it off. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, t- it'll just explode that way. Um, and reality, if you think about it, and this is the same way with churches in general, um, you could look at it in terms of a church, a, a large or just youth ministry, a church, you know, churches that um, want to have a basketball court in there, they want to do a coffee shop, or they want to do this or that, you know, that kind of thing, because they think, oh, if we do this, the world does that, and if we do that, then people think we're cool too. And the idea is, well, if you think about it, Starbucks does a great job of coffee. Um the gyms out there do a great job of that. You know, um, PS3 and, and Xbox 360, kids have a lot of fun with that. Even if they don't have one, their friends do. And they get to play whatever games they want to at home probably, whereas a church, we only can really do a few games. Um, you know, and, and so we can offer them some of those things, but in reality, the world does better. They do video games better. They do recreation better. They do um, TV better, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They do it at a level in a way that kids probably would prefer to do it anyway there. Um, whereas the church, we have Jesus. Um, we have Jesus to share with them. We have, we, have, we have the scripture to proclaim to them, to explain to them. We have this message of the gospel to, show, to share with them that says, hey, we are all created in the image and likeness of God, and he loves us. He, he made us to worship him, be in relationship with him, but we've obviously sinned. We um, separate ourselves from God. We deserve punishment for our sins, but God loves us so much that he came in the form of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you know, humbled himself in the, in the you know, as a man, um, fully God, fully man, uh, died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, we could be granted new life and become back in relationship with God. And yet we make this into, hey, come and let's have some pizza and, and talk about how to be a nice kid. You know, and um, so, you know, that's kind of uh, one of the things and differences of philosophy and ministry, I believe, Uh that God can touch the hearts of kids um, on his own, um, through his word, and we don't need all those other things. Those things aren't, there's nothing wrong with those things inherently necessarily, but um, to pin your hopes and your aspirations on growing something and making a success out of something, on those kind of things, it's, um, it's pretty much an exercise in futility kind of. All right. Well said. Well said. All right. So, uh, you know, so if, if any of you all are listening and, uh, my prayer for, uh, for Scott is, is that, uh, he is able to find, uh, a church that will, that has a similar philosophy of ministry, if you would, that it's, that's job is to proclaim Christ and him crucified. If you're looking for a young associate pastor or even a youth pastor, I'm hoping, uh, the, your church is somewhere in the frozen tundra. 
and uh, <laughs> would like to see Scott suffer a little bit for the Lord, you know, away from warmer climates because I'm having to do that right now. You know, it's, it, I just want to share the love there, Scott. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate if, it. If, if you all are looking for uh, somebody who is uh, who who works hard, understands uh, the the gospel and uh, biblical Christianity, then Scott's your guy. And uh, Scott, how can how can uh, somebody get a hold of you if if uh, they're interested in considering you for a ministry position? Oh, sure, just a very simple, very simple email. It's s king solver all kind of one thing together at gmail dot com. I'm on Facebook. Um, love to hear from people. Love to share in people's stories. I love to hear how people come come to the Lord uh, and just a fellowship with people. And um, so yeah, those are two ways: s king solver at gmail dot com or just find Scott Kingsolver on Facebook. There's not very many of us, so um, it's not that hard to find me. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, uh, you are in our prayers, and uh, and uh, look forward to hearing in the in the years ahead how uh, how God has used you and called you in a ministry to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. And we'll pray that God yields a great harvest from the from the preaching of the gospel that you will have the opportunity to share and do over the course of your uh, lifetime in ministry. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you and being on the program. All right. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. You too. So that was my interview with Scott Kingsolver. You gotta love a kid. And it's funny that I'm calling him a kid. You gotta love a kid who understands the gospel and wants to serve people and to be in ministry and, and to feed them God's word and to preach the gospel, gospel to them and teach them, uh, the true Christian faith. And so, uh, those of you outside of the LCMS, if you're looking for a, a, a young kid that, uh, can, that can come onto your, uh, church's staff that's teachable and, you know, it still has some ways to go though, uh, but it's teachable and understands law and gospel. I, I think in the years ahead, we might be hearing from Scott Kingsolver in, you know, we, he might end up making it into the rotation in our good sermon reviews here. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, what Christ does with him. Anyway, so you know how to get a hold of him. And we are up on our first break. Now, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there again, uh, Pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. 
Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith and then taking the doctrine and theology that you learn here and teaching it in your church could get you in lots of trouble. All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio, and the way you can support us is by joining our Fighting for the Faith pirate Christian radio crew. The way you do so is visit fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Join Our Crew. We're still looking for a 1,000 of our listeners to join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month, mere pittance, and uh, that, that's how you do it, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on Join Our Crew, or if you would like to uh, donate a flat amount uh, and you know, give a gift above and beyond that, you can do so by clicking Donate or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code four. Six zero three eight. All right, moving to the news here. Headline reads: uh, Lutheran bishop tackles questions on pro-gay actions. 
this is written by Lillian Kwan of the Christian Post. I'm still looking for audio on this. See if I can, if it's worth reviewing the audio on this too. All right, the story reads, thousands of people logged on to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America's first ever online town hall forum to hear the denomination's head, uh, that would be the uh, Bishop Mark, uh, tackle some tough questions. Many of the questions on Sunday address the pro-gay actions of the church-wide assembly in August. Quote, can you give a good solid reason why we, the dissident traditionalists, should remain in the ELCA as a decreasing minority instead of moving our membership to other Lutheran bodies? George uh, Erdner of Lawrenceville, Georgia, asked through an online submission. ELCA presiding Bishop Mark S. Hansen uh, first made plain, don't call yourself dissident minorities. Uh, Mark, they are. Um Hansen stressed that traditionalists are still full members of the church if they allow themselves to be. Yeah, see, the problem is, is that word on the street, and we covered this in an earlier edition of Fighting for the Faith, the word on the street is, is that, uh, they can't continue to be because, uh, the, uh, the ELCA is not going to allow, uh, traditionalist churches. What a lousy term, by the way. Confessional, well, they're not exactly confessional. Anyway, traditionalist churches, uh, when they have an opening up for a pastor, the word on the street is is that the the ELCA headquarters is not going to allow any congregations out of hand to uh, disqualify or or not consider uh, practicing homosexuals. That uh, that, the, the actions in August are supposedly binding. Now, Hansen, the picture he paints is not that it's binding. The picture he paints is that it's it's not that. But we continue. Um, Throughout the hour-long forum, the Lutheran bishop underscored the fact that the recently adopted social statement on human sexuality and ministry policy change acknowledged the positions of both pro-gay congregations and those that hold homosexuality as unbiblical. Oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. So it, so the policy change uh, basically acknowledges both the pro-gay congregations and those congregations that say it's unbiblical? Doesn't Scripture say anything about not being unequally yoked with an unbeliever? Or didn't Jesus in the red letters, uh, that was a note for Tony Campolo, didn't Jesus in the red letters once say that a house divided against itself can't stand? Don't you understand that somebody who thinks that homosexuality is unbiblical cannot be tied in ministry to people who deny what the Scripture teaches on that? Because ultimately it affects the gospel. The gospel needs to be given to homosexuals as well as heterosexuals. And the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. That includes homosexual sins. It includes lying. It includes not loving God with all your heart. It includes not uh, obeying your parents, not honoring your parents. It involves coveting, stealing, uh, committing adultery. All of these sins are covered by the blood of Christ. So how can somebody who holds to the idea that uh, that the Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination and it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that somebody who is a practicing homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? How do you stay connected to somebody, quote, in ministry who denies what the Bible says, Mark? <sighs> anyway, um, 
Let's see. While providing a way for congregations that feel ready to ordain gays and lesbians in lifelong monogamous same-gender relationships to do so, the recently approved resolutions, quote, also recognize that congregations who hold a traditional view of home, that, that would be biblical view of homosexuality, and uh, want to remain committed to the standards of this church that have existed up to, until now can and should have the right to teach and order their ministries accordingly. Uh, Mark, what about the the news that's coming out of Lutheran Corps that says that you're not going to allow those congregations to disqualify any practicing homosexuals uh, from being considered for uh, pastoral positions as they come open? I'm hearing two different things here, Mark. Quote, we recognize the diversity of positions held by bound consciences informed by the word of God throughout this church. Now, there's the problem. Let me read this sentence again. This is typical liberal gobbledygook. Ready? We recognize the diversity of positions held by bound consciences that are informed by the word of God throughout this church. That's the problem. You have a bound conscience. Well, Luther said that his conscience was bound to the word of God. You guys are saying you just have a bound conscience that's informed by the word of God. Those are two completely worlds apart positions. Sorry, but I dare not have a view of scripture other than the view of scripture that Jesus Christ himself had. And Jesus Christ himself, who was God in human flesh, the Yahweh of the Old Testament in human flesh, said... That the, the, that the Old Testament is the word of God, that Adam and Eve were real people, that the flood really truly is a historical event, Abraham was a historical person, that Jonah was truly in the belly of a fish for three days. I dare not have a view of Scripture other than Jesus Christ's view. Never does Jesus Christ attack the Scripture. Never does Jesus Christ attack the authority of Scripture or undermine the Scripture or teach that there were four different uh, authors of Isaiah and you know, fifth, you know, and use historical criticism to criticize the authorship of the Pentateuch. No way, Jose. Jesus Christ affirms that Isaiah was written by Isaiah, that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. All these things that you liberals have been denying and fighting against and combating, Jesus affirmed. So therefore, the biblical Christian position is to have the same view of Scripture that Jesus had and dare not criticize it. In fact, come to think of it, uh, there's a wonderful passage I was reading the other day in Isaiah chapter 66. Um, this is the Lord Yahweh speaking, which, by the way, Yahweh of the Old Testament, that's who Jesus Christ is in human flesh. We read, thus says the Lord. We could say, thus says Jesus. It's true. Heaven, Isaiah 66, one. heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, and what is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so... All these things came to be, declares the Lord, or declares Jesus. But this is the one whom I will look upon. He who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. Yeah, Jesus Christ teaches us in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, that the one he looks on is the one who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his words. No, Mark Hansen and his gang, they don't tremble at God's word. They No, they have bound consciences. 
Their consciences are bound to whatever they feel like binding them to, but they're not bound to the word of God. But their bound consciences are just informed by the word of God. Uh-huh. <sighs> we continue. Since the ELCA's triennial gathering in Minneapolis last August, a number of congregations have threatened to leave the denomination. One group, Lutheran Corps, is currently drawing out a proposal to form a separate Lutheran body in the United States. Amid the conflict, Hansen, who expressed his frustration that many were viewing the assembly through a narrow lens. Yeah, that's the thing about scripture. It sure is narrow. Truth and darkness. God's word, it divides light from darkness, truth from error. That's what it does. Narrow lens, that Bible sure is. Mm -hmm. And zeroing in on the homosexuality issue, well, it's the obvious manifestation that you guys have abandoned the clear teaching of God's word. Uh, Anyway, it says uh, he fears that the debate is turning into a differentiation between those who love scriptures and those who don't when the question raised isn't do some love the scriptures, but rather how do we read the scriptures? Real simple, Mark. The answer to that question is real simple. We read the scriptures and we, we the same way Christ read them. We view the authority of Scripture the same way Christ viewed the authority of Scripture. We dare not have a different view of God's Word than Jesus did. Plain and simple. Answering his own question, Hansen said, First and foremost, we read the Scriptures evangelically as Lutherans. We read the Bible and the Holy Spirit bringing us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, it sounds nice and pious. I have no idea what you're talking about. He added, But you know the questions of homosexual orientation that I here asked, and the understanding that uh, we have of homosexuality today does not seem to be reflected at all in the context of the biblical writers. Wrong. Uh, Mark, read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It makes it clear that we are all dead in trespasses and sins, uh, at war with God, and by nature, objects of God's wrath. Every human being, the scriptures teach, has an orientation to being sinful. Period. We are dead in trespasses and sins and at war with God. And the biblical author, Moses himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing Leviticus, made it clear that when a man lies with another man as as they would a woman, that that is an abomination before the Lord. Plain and simple. Doesn't Orientation isn't, isn't mentioned because that doesn't need to be. The action itself is condemned. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And notice here, that's the typical liberal way of of, uh, of behaving. Let me read this next uh, this next paragraph. So let us bring our understanding of sexual orientation that has been opened to humankind over the years into this conversation. See, that's the problem. Liberals, liberals, they'll sit, you know, they'll sit there and go, "Oh, well, the sciences say that the man evolved from apes. Therefore, we have to find a way of bringing that information to bear on our understanding of Scripture." No, we don't. We can look in the Scriptures, and it makes it clear that God created the heavens and the earth, and He did so in six days. Plain and simple. What does day mean? Day. He did it in six days. God created the heavens and the earth. And God created man. It doesn't, it, it, out of the mud, it doesn't say that God evolved the different species into different species. Macroevolution is ruled out. And scientifically, there is good reason to completely not believe evolution at all. It's a sham. It's, a, it's, a, it's just ridiculous. It's sham science. It isn't real science. 
And yet the liberals say, they'll say, oh, well, you know, the scientists say that evolution happened, therefore we have to read the Bible differently. No, we don't. We have to tell those evolutionary scientists that they are in error and they need to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins offered to them in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Okay? So, no, we do not need to bring our, quote, understanding of sexual orientation that has been open to the humankind over the years into this conversation. No, we don't. We need to faithfully proclaim what the Word of God says and bring the gospel to bear for all sinners, both homosexual and heterosexual, plain and simple. Let me continue reading here. And rather than narrowing the conversation on the issue of homosexuality to involve, to involve just like-minded people, Hansen, who has been busy over the past few months discussing the Assembly's actions with ecumenical partners and Lutherans overseas, urged all members throughout the church to stay and engage in conversation. Uh, no. They do not need to stay in conversation. Okay, We cannot be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You guys need to be told to repent, and if you won't, they need to basically treat you like pagans, plain and simple. You are in grave and serious error, and it touches on the very gospel itself. The more the ELCA decreases and becomes a community of just like-minded people, the, the more diminished is our witness. The struggle in Scripture is always the struggle of how we experience unity within our diversity. No, it's not. That is just a complete liberal fantasy and fairy tale. Unbelievable. All right, one more here. Uh, this is a story about that uh, pastor in Canada who was brought up on human rights charges for uh, sending a letter to the editor of his local newspaper criticizing homosexuality. Headline reads, uh, Pastor Acquitted of Hate Crime Charge in Canada. This is written by Ethan Cole of the Christian Post. Story reads, A Canadian judge last week exonerated a former pastor who was charged with committing a hate crime for sending a letter to a local newspaper criticizing homosexuality. Thank God. Wow, that is good news. Judge E.C. Wilson overturned a 2008 ruling by the Alberta Human Rights Commission that ordered former Alberta pastor Stephen, uh, Stephen Boyson to stop all public criticisms of homosexuality and to pay the plaintiff $5,000 in damages, according to the Canadian press. Wilson ruled on Friday that the 2002 letter, which carried the headline, Homosexual Agenda Wicked, was not a hate crime, but is permissible under freedom of speech. Yes! this is <laughs> Good news. The decision of Justice Earl Wilson of the Court of Queen's Bench in Boyson versus Lund will have a significant long-term positive impact on religious freedom in Canada, wrote Gerald Shapur, Boyson's attorney, in a summary analysis of the judgment according to LifeSiteNews.com. Shapir uh, commented that the definition of what qualifies as hate speech was made clear through the ruling. He also said the judge took away the tools of censorship and protected freedom of expression. In 2002, Boisson sent a letter to the editor of the Red Deer Advocate newspaper criticizing the pro-gay rights curriculum in the province's education system. From, quote, from kindergarten class on our children, your grandchildren are being strategically targeted, psychologically abused and brainwashed by homosexual and pro-homosexual educators, Pastor Stephen Boisson wrote. The letter caught the attention of a human rights advocate, activist who filed a complaint against the pastor for hate-mongering. The activist supported his case by pointing to a homosexual who was beaten up 
two weeks after the letter was published as evidence that such speech can incite violence. Uh, that, by the way, that in, in logic, we call that the post hoc ergo pop, uh, propter hoc uh, fallacy, which basically means after this, therefore, because of this, uh, or as my wife likes to lovingly refer to that as the post hoc ergo poppycock fel- fallacy. Unbelievable. Which, by the way, I, I, I was flipping channels the other night, and it appears that uh, uh, CSI is going to have a, a, you know an upcoming episode based upon the same idea. You know, uh, somebody who who is a character who very uh, thinly um, represents or is made to look like Rush Limbaugh is being brought up on charges that somebody committed a murder because he said something hateful on the air. So uh, CSI is going to be ha- dealing with this exact topic on uh, on their program. I, I, my bet is that they're going to end up uh, roasting the Rush Limbaugh character and uh, sending him to the gas chamber. That's just... <laughs> that would be my guess. <sighs> anyway, all right, let's see here. Um, all right, Boyson's attorney, however, argued that the plaintiff cannot prove the connection between his client's letter and discriminatory practices against homosexuals in Alberta. That's correct. Uh, the lawyer also highlighted that Alberta's hate speech laws cannot suppress people's right to express their opinions, especially religious opinions. While the decision did not strike down Alberta's hate speech laws, it significantly limited application of such laws, Shapiro said. Uh, but plaintiff Darren Lund responded to the ruling saying, I really think this is a step backwards for our province in an email to the Canadian press. Oh, poor thing. In my view, the judge's ruling sets such strict standards for hate speech that it's that this section is rendered all but unenforceable. Hmm. Uh, the case of Boisson, which has been ongoing for more than seven years, was used by conservative Christian leaders in the United States as an example of what could happen if D.C. lawmakers passed an expanded hate crimes law. Yeah, it was. Uh, Prominent Christian right leaders such as James Dobson, Chuck Colson, and Tony Perkins warned that a hate crimes law could lead to thought police who considered verbal attacks or speeches uh, to be hate crimes. Yep. Uh, Despite the vocal protest by conservative leaders, a U.S. version of the expanded hate crimes law was passed in October uh, the law adds violence against individuals based on sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or disability to be the, on the list of federal hate crimes. Conservative groups have vowed to keep a close watch on whether the legislation respects free speech and religious liberty as its supporters have promised. I've, I've even read some uh, press releases coming down the wire that, you know, where some Christian pastors were purposely trying to run afoul of the new hate speech uh, law in order to uh, in order to be arrested and, and uh, take it to court. I don't think they've been successful so far, though, at least not that I've heard of. It, I could be out of the loop on that one. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we're going to continue in our Ghost of Christmas Sermons Past uh, series, uh, trying to do one or two of these a week, uh, basically looking at how seeker-driven churches uh, preach Christmas during the Christmas season. And uh, today's uh, sermon is brought to us by Brick City Community Church in Sanford, North Carolina. They did a sermon series called You Too Christmas, based on the, uh, an entire Christmas sermon series based upon the songs of You Too. And uh, this particular, the particular song that they will be uh, honing in on for this Christmas sermon is You Too's Vertigo. Yeah, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Anyway, so <laughs> you definitely don't want to miss that. Now, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com 
Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Well, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. of Fighting for the Faith, which means it's just about time to dive into our sermon review. Uh, the examination here is uh, how you uh, how the seeker-driven guys uh, preach Christmas. That's the whole point of our of these particular sermon reviews. So um, the sermon, uh, there's our music here. Hang on, we got we got to get our our ghostly chain s- sound going. There. I, I am the ghost of Christmas past. Scaring up sermons. 
I, I gotta work on this. <clears throat> Let's kill the echo. Yeah, there we go. I gotta work on this thing here. Repent. Repent. Yeah, I, I don't think I like it much the second time either. <laughs> Maybe I should just go back to the good, the bad, the ugly. Anyway, our our Ghost of Christmas Sermons Pass comes to us via Brixendy Community Church in Sanford, North Carolina. And I wasn't able to ascertain which of the two pastors that actually delivered this sermon. And so uh, I cannot attribute proper uh, attribution to the pastor uh, in that uh, preached it. Um, but I don't think it really matters. The name of the sermon series is entitled... U2 Christmas, as in the Irish rock band U2, you know, with the front guy uh, Bono. And um, the, the, the sermon in particular is entitled Vertigo, and I'm going to play it in its entirety so that you can experience it the way it was intended to be experienced. So without any further ado, here is U2 Christmas. Vertigo from Brick City Community Church in Sanford, North Carolina. No, see, Christmas uh, rock and roll edition of uh, Mr. Grinch. That does help set the tone that this is a Christmas sermon. All right, you guys act like you like each other. Welcome to Brick City Community Church. We're glad you're here. Isn't this awesome? Look at all this food here. How many of y'all brought bags? Man, that's awesome. We went shopping last Sunday. I took my boys, and they both had their bags. And, man, they're running around that store grabbing stuff off the shelf. They were so excited. Caleb said, man, they're going to have a feast. It was cool. I love it, man. This is a great time. We're going to extend this. You can bring your bags all the way through Friday. So make sure you pick up some bags. If you haven't done it yet, there's a shopping list on the side. Uh, uh, just go ahead and get them in sometime uh, this week. We're, we're here usually 9 to 5 all week long, so you can drop them by. And some evenings some people are here. So make sure you get them in by Friday because they're going out of here Saturday. Okay? You do that for me? This year we're doing three Christmas services. So... Uh, because of last year's volume of people and the Christmas show and the kids doing it and all that stuff, we're asking you to get tickets for the services. They'll be available next week at guest services, so make sure you stop by get enough tickets for you and all the guests you're going to bring, right? How many of y'all are bringing somebody? Come on, I better see some hands. Y'all got to grab some tickets, invite some people. It's going to be a great time, a great message to invite people to join a team, get somebody out here. Uh, this week we're doing uh, Vertigo, one of my favorite U2 songs. We're in the middle of a series, U2 Christmas, and Bono and myself are going to... I mean, isn't it just great that uh, Vertigo is one of his favorite uh, songs by U2? Oh, can't you just feel this Christmas sermon just dripping with cultural relevance? 
Oh, it's just, uh, it's like tinsel on a Christmas tree. We're going to tag team today, so I've asked him to say a few things, and I'm going to slip him in every now and then, but let's start it out. Let me watch, watch this, my favorite video. Now, in case you're wondering, what is that sound? Is that a freight train running through the church? Oh, no, they're playing the uh, the U2 concert video of them singing Vertigo. Because, you know, the, 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 these lyrics are just brimming with um, themes about Christ and the King of Glory being born in Bethlehem and uh, God in human flesh made manifest. You know, uh, Vertigo, I'm... Sh- um, uh, no, it, actually, this song has nothing to do with that. But this is a relevant, it's a relevant, relevant sermon based on U2's Vertigo. This is this pastor's favorite uh, song. I think that Como Esta, um, no, that's not Christmassy either. All right, I'll just get back to rocking out to this uh, U2 Christmas song.
Yeah, man, I could just, um, well, actually, I don't feel not, nothing Christmassy about that. But boy, is this relevant. Woo! Yay, relevant. <sighs> Did I mention that uh, this is a Christmas sermon? Uh, just want to make sure you knew that this was all part of the uh, entire Chris, um, Christmas uh, sermon. You too, Christmas, by the way. He didn't play that for you. He played that for himself. Uh, Pastor, is that what you're supposed to be doing on a Sunday morning during a sermon? Oh, boy. Or wake. Come on now. I'll play it again. All right. Today's YouTube Christmas. Today's message is Vertigo. That's the song. So we're going to jump right in. We were able to figure that connection out. Thank you, though, for clearing that up for those who couldn't figure it out. And before we get started, let's pray. God, right now, I just ask you to be with us. Lord, help us get it this morning. Lord, I ask that, that people wouldn't hear my words, but they would hear your truth. Lord, I ask you to bring understanding. Speak trust to us, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to give us a, a, an empowerment of faith. Just to believe in Jesus' name. Let's look in your notes. If you open your notes with me, uh, we're going to start out in Mark 10. But before we do, let me give you a little background on this, this particular story. Basically, we have the disciples. They're all in one place. And, and James and John, who were two of the three who always went off with Jesus, who felt like they were really special. And I guess they knew that Peter was going to deny him one day, so they thought they were the most special. So they get together, J James and John get together. <laughs> what? <laughs> they knew ahead of time that Peter was going to deny Jesus. Did I hear that right? I, he could not. He did not say that. Hang on a second. Got to back this up. Can't you just feel the Christmas spirit oozing from this relevant YouTube Christmas sermon? Hang on. <laughs> Oh, hold on. Just I got to back up the tape just a couple of seconds because got to see if he really said that. Here we go. They're all in one place. And and James and John, who were two of the three who always went off with Jesus, who felt like they were really special. And I guess they knew that Peter was going to deny him one day. So they thought. 
<laughs> oh, you got to be kidding me. No, no. <laughs> yeah, they, they figured out way ahead of time that Peter was going to deny Jesus. So they came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, we want to be on riding on your left because we know that Peter dude. Yeah, in case you hadn't figured out, he's going to deny you one of these days. Oh, come on. <laughs> we continue. They were the most special. So they get together, James and John get together, and they decide that, that they were the most important and they were going to ask Jesus to sit beside him in heaven one day. They said, we should be there. We're... Where, you know, I'm John the Beloved and you're my brother. We, you know, we should be there. We should sit right next to Jesus. So they <laughs> don't think this is how the, the dialogue took place or went down, whatever relevant phrase you want to stick in here. <sighs> Go to the other disciples and they make the proclamation. They say, this way it is. We're the most special. We're going to be beside Jesus. Well, this makes other disciples furious the bible says indignant but i think it means really 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 mad so we pick up the story here it says when the ten heard about this they became indignant with james and john jesus called them together and said you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them listen not so with you i want you to underline that we're going to come back to that. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whomever wants to be first must be, be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Here's the deal. Get this. The disciples are arguing over who is the most special, who is the most important. And Jesus, he steps in. Actually, it's that's not exactly correct there. In the text, what they're really looking for is they think that Jesus' kingdom is an earthly kingdom, and the positions of authority on the right and the left would be like uh, vice president and secretary of state. They're, they're, vi they're basically office-seeking at this point. They, they, they want to have a super high position, and Jesus is uh, soon to be... Uh, earthly kingdom that's going to compete with and kick out the roman empire they're they're vying for political offices here you know you know basically spoils of uh being on the inside with jesus it's uh... and he's he's a lot nicer to me if it was me i would say hey none of y'all fools gonna sit beside me i'm gonna give y'all a back row and i'm gonna pick somebody from the old testament because they're a whole lot nicer than you got I don't think I'm going to be able to keep it together for this sermon. I am just thinking that we're going to have some problems. But he didn't do that. He said he he very eloquently, he walks over and he says, come along, guys. Come here. Gather up. Everybody be quiet. Sit down and listen because I got something to tell you. He says, not so with you. He says, look, we don't do it that way. We here, you guys who follow me, who are followers of Jesus Christ don't do it that way. You know, uh, I've got a, I've got a couple of sons, and and they we don't do it that way. 
And they keep me laughing over the years. But I got a son, Caleb, who went to kindergarten when he was four years old. He, uh, I'm sorry. he, um, he went to kindergarten when he's four because of the way his birthday was. And he was in kindergarten. He's a likable kid. He gets out there and he makes friends and he doesn't know any stranger. And, uh, he made some friends and, and they were teaching him stuff and I didn't know it. And a couple months later, we were going down the road and my two boys were in the back seat and they were bickering. You know, they weren't really fighting. They weren't getting into it, but they were just bickering back and forth. And uh, I let it go on because I wanted to see how they handled the situation and uh, and and how well I was teaching them. So we're going down the road and I catch a glimpse in a mirror just as Caleb gives Tyler a real stern look and he flies him the finger. Stuck his middle finger up at his brother. Didn't say a word, just stuck it up. Immediately I say, Caleb, we don't do that. And he said, do what, daddy? I said, we don't stick our middle finger up. He said, what, this one? And he stuck it up again. I said, Caleb, we don't do that. He said, but so-and-so at school, they do it. And he, and I said, I don't care what they do at school. I don't care who else does it. We're followers of Jesus. And Jesus, that means something ugly. And we decided that we don't do that. Okay? And he said, okay. And I hadn't seen him do it anymore. I hope he is. If you do, you can come to me and tell me because I need to deal with it. But that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's coming to this to his disciples and he gathers them around. He says, look, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to call yourself one of my crowd, my family, we don't do that. We don't look at ourselves as more important. We don't, we don't fight and strive and climb the corporate ladder. We don't do that. He says it in a... In a Let me read the passage. <clears throat> This sounds like the nicest guy. I mean, this guy really sounds like a great, nice guy. Um, let me read the passage. Mark chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, well, grant us to sit one at your right and the other at your left in in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I am that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am to be baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup I drink, you will drink the baptism. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. I want to pause for a second here. They want to sit on his right and on his left in his glory. And um, what are they thinking? Political office, earthly kingdom. Where is this passage fulfilled? This is a very important question to ask. The answer to the question is, is that this passage is fulfilled as far as who's going to be on Jesus' right and on his left when Jesus comes into his glory. This is fulfilled on the cross. The one whom the, ch- the Father chose for Jesus to have on his right and his left in Jesus' glory are the two thieves that Jesus was crucified between. And when you think about that, it, this the, it, this whole passage takes on a completely different element. Okay, 
Because Jesus' glory is his death for our sins on the cross. That's Jesus' inauguration, if you would, as king. That's why he has a crown of thorns. I mean, this is huge stuff that's going on. Important things regarding the kingdom of God. Because God's kingdom is, is, you know, at least this side of Christ's return, is not a kingdom of this earth. It is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins, of repentant, contrite, humble sinners. And so that kingdom is inaugurated, is initiated, is launched with Jesus' most glorious death on the cross for our sins. And so... Keep that in mind as we uh, review this passage. Now, what what is this pastor? And I've got to tell you, this guy really sounds like a nice guy. He, you know, compared to the Perry Noble, Stephen Furtick types, this guy just sounds like, just like the most simple, humble, just really sounds like a nice guy. So i got to give him that. Um, you know, however, one of, what you notice what he's doing here is he's running this through the law. We don't do that. This is how we do things. Not exactly what Jesus is getting at in the next verses, but watch what he says. He says, and then the ten heard it, and they became they began to be indignant at James and John. Why? Well, we want, what, what offices are we going to get? Jesus says. Jesus called them to him, and he said, listen, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, because that's what the that's the template that James and John are working from. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom like Herod, like Pilate, like the Tetrarchs, and and Jesus is going, no, 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 listen, okay. Those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave, must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay? So that being said, this pastor is getting, you know, the theme here, I guess, is vertigo. And that in Jesus' kingdom, things are... Uh, you know, they're, they're upside down and backwards compared to the way the world operates. So we Christians, this side of uh, Christ's return and our death, we're, we're not setting up an earthly kingdom of God. We're, we're setting, we're, we're proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And the, and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins. Those who have been, uh, literally transformed, raised from the dead by Christ himself. And so, you know, that that I think is is important. And so even here in this text, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so here we've got the gospel clearly preached and taught in this passage. And uh, that's, you know, this is what really what's at the heart of what's going on here. It's not that Jesus is setting some kind of example for us or chastising them and saying, listen, that's not if you want to be my follower, that's not the way we do things. Here's the rules, boys. He's actually pushing way deeper than that. He's pushing to faith and the and the fruit of that faith in him. Okay, we continue. Uh, in verse 42, he says, not so with you. Immediately, everyone here knows exactly what I'm talking about. 
Because society teaches us that we have to, we have to fight, we have to scrap, we have to climb our corporate ladders, we have to, anything that we get, anything that has been given to us is because it came from the sweat of our brow and the work of our hands and we labored and we, we made right choices and we did it, right? Uh, that's kind of missing the point of the passage. He, maybe he's in the ballpark, but he's way in left field. He needs to get closer to home plate here. Anybody there with me? I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm saying that's what society teaches us. Jesus is saying we don't do it like that. Jesus is saying that I came not to be served, but to serve others. Now, you got to picture this. I remember when, when I was first having uh, sons, I was ecstatic. I had two boys right in a row. And I knew that one day these kids were going to grow up and they were going to be old enough to cut the grass and to take out the trash and to help with the laundry and to find the remote control and bring it to me so I don't even have to get off the couch. Come on. Can I hear a witness? <laughs> Free child slave labor. Oh, how many of y'all know that? Y'all with little... But I'm guilty of all of that myself. <clears throat> I was so excited when my son was old enough to uh, pick up the dog droppings in the backyard rather than me. Oh, that was a glorious day. <clears throat> what does this have to do with Christmas? And oh, Kids, you know that. And I could make them do everything that I had to do when I was a little kid. You know, 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, get up. It was yard time. We had to do the yard, and I had to do all the weed eating, but I didn't have one of those electric or gas-powered weed eaters. I had those little hand clippers because I'm a little older than some of y'all. You remember them? And we had to cut every piece of grass around the thousands of flower beds in our yard. I don't know why we had to plant all that stuff. You know, at night I'd be out there spraying Roundup on that stuff. Kill it. But Jesus is saying... I, me, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe. If anybody who is, who, anybody in the world was eligible to be served, it was Jesus Christ, wasn't it? He did everything. He came and, and humbled himself as flesh and came as a man and came to this earth to do a task. I mean, if anybody, he should have been served. And he said, I didn't come to be served. He said, I came to serve others. That's what I came here for. That is my purpose on this earth is to serve others. It's completely backwards. It doesn't make sense. It is opposite of every single thing that our society teaches us. It's a paradox. What's a paradox? Thanks for asking that question. I put it in your notes. You can read it with me. Paradox is something that is contrary to or conflicts with conventional or common opinion. A statement, proposition, or situation that seems to be absurd or contradictory, but in fact is or may be true. That's what it is. Everything that Jesus said, this verse that he's saying, I came not to, not to be served, but to serve. If anybody wants to be the greatest, they must be the, the servant of the least. That is, an, it is exactly opposite. It's crazy. It's a place called vertigo. That's where we live. It's crazy. It's a place called vertigo. I, I, I could do without the U2 stuff. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are living in a place called vertigo because society teaches you to do this, do that. This is the way it goes. This is how it is. 
And Jesus is saying, no, everything that you know is reality isn't reality at all. I, I can't. Oh, that's really not what's going on in this passage. Everything that I know is reality isn't reality at all. Came to serve. I'm the creator of the universe, but I came to serve man. And I ask you to be just like me, and you have to serve others. It's completely opposite. Notice, though, uh, Pastor, that uh, that when Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, he explains exactly how he serves. It's through his death on the cross for our sins. That's an important piece to all of this. I'm not a scuba diver. Is there, Has anybody ever been scuba diving in here? Anybody certified? Anybody been through the training? Now, y'all, t- y'all tell me if I'm wrong. You know, I'm not a scuba diver, but I've seen it on TV, right? Does anybody see it on TV? I watch Mythbusters. They go diving all the time. Scuba divers have to train. They have, to, they have hours of training. They have to go through tests, and they have to be certified before they're allowed to go scuba diving. The reason is uh, because the goal of scuba diving, now, now scuba diving, you put on all that gear, and those of you who have been in the water know that it's not hard to go under, is it? You kind of just like strap everything on and don't do anything and you sink, right? Isn't that right? Basically, it's easy to go underwater. The goal of scuba diving is to resurface one uh, one moment in the future alive, right? Isn't that a, isn't that a good goal? Uh, you're a scuba diver. That's my... <laughs> That's my goal. I'm going to reach the surface and I'm going to take a breath and my heart's still going to be beating. That's it. That's what the goal of scuba diving is, is to resurface a lie. Now, if I have learned through watching Mythbusters and other shows on TV that there is actually condition that if you go too deep or too long while scuba diving, that you can actually experience something called nitrogen narcosis. Now, let me explain. Uh, uh, I put this in your notes, too. And I'm just giving you everything right at the tip of your finger. Confusion from nitrogen in the blood, lightheadedness, confusion or exhilaration caused by increased nitrogen in the blood. This occurs in deep-sea divers exposed to pressure several times that of the atmosphere. Basically, they can experience, if they're too deep, too long, they can actually experience vertigo while underwater, and they can be swimming to the surface convinced that they are going the right way the whole time they're going deeper and deeper to their death. This can actually happen. You know, you can have vertigo. You can basically, you can, you can be underwater and be absolutely convinced of reality. You know that the surface is that way. And you start swimming, swimming de- you know, desperately to get up to the surface, and you're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's a place called vertigo. You know, we know how the world works. We know that society teaches us that you have to scrap your way to the top, that you have to crush your enemy, that you have to defeat, you have to, you have to claw, you have to stomp on somebody's face, whatever it takes to get forward in life, that's what you do. That's what society teaches. Jesus teaches us exactly. By the way, that's not exactly what society teaches us. Um, I have to disagree. I mean, I think that's a mischaracterization of society in general. Yeah, there are certain 
people who approach success in that manner. But the general idea behind our merit-based system, uh, capitalism being a meritocracy, is that uh, is that generally the people who work hard and excel at what they do are the ones who rise to the top, and that they merit that based upon their talent and their ability and their uh, and and their efforts, and so. I mean, I've worked in plenty of corporations where people didn't have to step on other people's backs in order to climb the ladder. It was it was good, true, good competition based upon merit and a level playing field. You know, those who 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 really showed talent and showed commitment and drive were the ones who were rewarded. And in, in the corporations I've worked in, uh, people who were backstabbing and and uh, Really causing all kinds of havoc uh, to their uh, to their uh, coworkers, they were gone. They, you know, so I, I disagree with this with the the general characterization here at this point, and it really misses the point of the passage itself. The opposite. He's saying that society has this narcosis. They actually believe that they are swimming to the surface when they are swimming deeper and deeper and deeper away from the truth. Bono, the text isn't about society in general. Bono talks about this in his interview, so I'm going to let him talk to us. Who talked? Bono? Okay, here's, uh, here's some gems of Christmas biblical wisdom. By the way, did I mention this was a Christmas sermon? You two Christmas, vertigo. Here's Bono. Watch this. I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, the universe operates by the laws of, of karma, essentially. And uh, all physical laws do. And, um, you know, what you put out comes back against you, you know. Then enters the story of grace, which really uh, is the story of Christ and which turned this this view of the universe upside down. And... It's completely counterintuitive. Um, I mean, very, very hard for human beings to grasp grace. We can actually grasp atonement, revenge, fairness. All of this we can grasp. But we don't grasp grace very well. I'm much more interested in grace because I'm really depending on it. (laughs) (laughs) Desperately needed. Yeah, if I'm living by karma, I'm in big trouble. Uh, Hey, that was a pretty decent soundbite. Uh, I'm depending on grace too. Oh boy. If I got what I deserved from God, I am so toast like eternal crispy critter toast. Oh, that was a, uh, (laughs) okay. Heard a little more gospel from Bono here than I have heard from this pastor so far. Let's see if he lands on his feet. Let's see if we hear some gospel here. I mean, this is after all, supposedly a sermon preached during the Christmas season. Uh, 
Uh, for those of you who don't know, that particular song happens to be Psalm 40, uh, sung by Bono here. So I, I grew up very suspicious of Christians, but determined to know more about the life of Christ. Very profound words from a rock and roll star. You know, the whole idea of grace of Jesus, the whole idea that the creator of the universe would come to earth and become one of us. Ah, here we go. Uh, we've hit on the incarnation, which is the proper biblical theme to be working from for Christmas. Good. I think we might even hear the gospel here. And to live a life and accomplish a task and to serve us with that life is totally absurd. It's totally opposite of, of anything because society teaches us that whatever you give, you get, right? It's all cause and effect. Bono said, it, it, you know, all the physical laws of our universe depend on karma. Whatever, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Jesus is saying it's not true. We have strong opinions of what life is. We know how life works. In your notes, you'll see some blanks if you would fill these in as we go along. This will help you in our talk. I am, man, this thing's slow. It's so slow and it runs right by. Uh, we tend to hold to our opinions. You know, us as, as people, as, you know, society, as we go through our life, we have these opinions. We have strong opinions. We know what reality is. We know what truth is. We know the direction that we're going. We know what truth is. And we tend to hold to our opinions. The problem is, you know, the culture, the, our culture knows that reading goes from left to right, right? Everybody in America reads left to right. Anybody read backwards? Nobody reads backwards. We all write, read left to right, and we all read from top to bottom. We don't start at the bottom of the page. Society teaches us that. But what I'm asking you the, this morning is this question. What if everything that you know to be true, everything that society teaches us about the way things happen and karma and the cause and effect, what if everything is exactly opposite of true reality? Don't you think that you're questioning a little too much here and it's the question isn't even warranted? Uh, by the text that you're preaching on. Question all of reality, including cause and effect. Uh, that's throwing way too much out there. Uh, we need some of that stuff, Pastor. That's not what Jesus is trying to do here. Think about it. What if life isn't left to right? What if life isn't from top to bottom? What if we can't just go through life reading it exactly like we've been taught? What if we are exactly upside down in this place called vertigo? Watch this. This is the truth. If we turn things upside down, we can't expect goodness to win in the world. I would be lying to you if I said that the human race has a great future ahead, that altruism could replace egotism, that you're oh, please. Have you seen this thing? Uh, it, it's a YouTube video. And what happens is these lines come up, 
and the guy is reading the lines as they come up. And then what happens is once it gets to the top, then it kind of, it goes backwards, and the guy reads the lines again backwards, and it f- completely fit, flips the uh, the message. Yeah, if you haven't seen I'll see if I can find it while this guy's playing. I can't believe he's using this. <sighs> your lives could be filled with joy. That your children could be safe and healthy. Before anything, you must know, the human race does not deserve these things. And I am convinced of this because I know you. Corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. Compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive. And I refuse to believe, under any circumstance, that you can turn things around in the coming years. Oh, man. See, this is... Just preach the text and stop with all this really um, distracting attempts at being relevant. By the way, you could find that video on YouTube if you want to see the effect that I'm talking, I'm trying to describe here. Uh, it's on YouTube, youtube.com, and type in the truth vertigo. It's in vertigo. The word vertigo is in, um, is in, uh, you know, upon, it's in parentheses. So you can find it there and you'll see what I'm saying. If you haven't seen this video, I mean, it's been around for a few years. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, the guy's reading these lines as they come up, and, and then what happens is they get to the top, and then he reads them again. And, and when you read it backwards, the whole message changes. <sighs> this world may be sinking to new depths, but there are even more revelations to come. The human race has only one destiny, and whether you like it or not, this is what is real. I am the Lord your God, and you should know that I believe exactly the opposite. I am the Lord your God. This is what is real. And whether you like it or not, the human race has only one destiny. There are even more revelations to come. This world may be sinking to new depths, but you can turn things around in the coming years. I refuse to believe, under any circumstances, that compassion breeds weakness when only the strong survive, and corruption and hypocrisy are in your nature. And I am convinced of this because I know you. The human race does not deserve these things. Before anything, you must know that your children could be safe and healthy, that your lives could be filled with joy, that altruism could replace egotism. The human race has a great future ahead. I feel like I'm listening to deep thoughts from Jack Handy. uh, Man. I would be lying to you if I said that we can't expect goodness to win in the world. If we turn things upside down.
This is the truth. That's the message of Jesus. What? No, um, no, that's not really the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is uh, God in human flesh dying on the cross for our sins. Repent and believe the good news. That's kind of the gist of... <sighs> He's saying, guys, we can't do it this way. We can't do what society says. We can't live like that. Notice law. This is not gospel. We can't do, we can't live, we can't law talk. Where's the gospel? And I'm not going to let you live like that. You know, we have strong opinions. We know what is right. Society knows what is right, but there's one problem. And the problem is we're sinners. Maybe he'll say that. Is this. Some of our strongly held opinions were formed without good information. So we just suffer from bad information? Is that the problem of humanity? Can we do a little better than that, a little deeper than that? That's the problem. We make decisions according to information that is, that is not complete. No, the problem is that we are sinful by nature and at war with God by nature. And as a result of it, we sin daily and sin much against God in our rebellion. It's not a matter of information. I mean, if that were the case, and all we have to do is, you know, give some pamphlets to our babies and they will do the right thing or just raise them with the right information, they won't do the wrong things. We go through life, our, our society teaches us things that without complete information. Look at Proverbs uh, 16 in your notes. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. You know, pilots are trained to fly by their instruments. You know that? Any pilots in here? Well, actually, uh, I know something about that. Um, uh, Many beginning pilots are not taught uh, how to fly by instruments. They use what are called uh, visual flight rules. And then as you progress, you then become instrument rated. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, they have to fly by their instruments. They're trained to because it would be very easy for a pilot to be in a plane up in the air looking at the sky. It's huge. There's clouds. There's ground down there. There's the sun or the stars or whatever. And it would be very easy for them to fly by emotions or feelings. They could look and say, yeah, I feel like I'm 10,000 feet. I can do loops and I can spin and I can turn. I can do anything I want. I can just fly by my feelings. But they're taught to to fly by their instruments for one reason. Because in the right situation, it is possible for a pilot to be upside down in an airplane traveling and feel like he's right side up. That's what happened to John F. Kennedy Jr. It is possible for him to be descending at a rapid pace and feel like he is climbing at that same rate. It's a place called vertigo. They, they, they go to their instruments and they say, you know, I'm trained by my instruments. My instrument says that I'm 10,000 feet. Then it is safe to do a barrel roll. They, they trust their instruments. You know, 
If they don't trust their instruments, guess what happens to them? Eventually, they're going to die. They're going to crash that plane. When the right situation comes up and the right uh, moment and the right speed and everything all fits together, they're going to die if they don't trust their instruments. You know, me, I don't trust myself. I don't. I do not trust myself because one day I'm up, I feel great, I feel like I could tackle the world, and the next day I feel like, Jesus, please just kill me and let me be with you. Anybody ever feel like that? Come on now, be honest. If you fly through your life, through your emotions, feeling like, you know, today I feel good, so we're going to fly this way, and tomorrow you feel like crap, so you're going to fly this way. If you continue to fly like that and you're not relying on your instruments, it's pointing you to the surface in the right way, pointing you to the direction where you can take that breath for life, then eventually you're going to crash and you're going to die. My question today is, what are you trusting? What do you trust? Are you trusting something that is trustworthy? Are you trusting the instruments that are trustworthy? Are you trusting, are you relying on something that's reliable? And how do you know if what you're relying on is reliable? That, that's a decent question. Let's see if he points us to Jesus. I think he might. I know we got some Yankees up in here, right? How many of y'all? Come on, let me see your hands. I'm beginning to think that I actually qualify as a Yankee, even though I grew up in Southern California. I know because it was 75 degrees yesterday, and I know that kind of stuff brings out Yankees down here, right? Did you know those guys up there go out on lakes that are frozen? You know they walk out on lakes? <laughs> those crazy Yankees. What are they thinking? They're crazy. They're literally crazy. You know, we might go coon hunting, but they go out on ice. They're nuts. Okay. Now, me, uh, I'd be a newbie. A newbie would kind of just walk up to the lake and, you know, kind of do that number and, you know, you know, on the edge, oh, it's only two inches deep here. If it breaks, I'm all right. Kind of, you know, kind of shuffle like this and hanging on the ropes and all that stuff. Well, these guys are driving trucks out there, and the trucks are driving trailers with with fishing huts on them, they build fires on top of the ice. How many of you know that's a bad idea? That's crazy. Why do those people do that? Because the ice is 36 inches thick. There is no chance of that ice cracking. But how many of you know somebody's got to be the first one out on the ice, right? Somebody's got to be the one who walks out on that ice for the first time. And it's usually the guys who have been ice fishing for 35 years. They know that lake. They know on, you know, October the 12th that it's time to go out on the ice. They go out on the ice. The ice is only an inch thick. They're walking around. And it's kind of making funny noises like paper crinkling, crinkling and stuff. And the, and the ice is flowing. It's on top of the water. It's just floating. And everybody's standing at the shore and they're saying, you idiot, you're going to die. And they say, no, I got great faith in the ice. I've been on the ice for 35 years. I know, I know this lake. I know it's going to freeze over. I know it's got 36 inches of, of ice and I know I'm going to be safe. And I know every single year I have come out on October the 12th and I walked out there and drilled a hole and started ice fishing. My question today is, 
What holds you up? What holds you up in life? Is it the the great amount of faith that you have? What's holding? <sighs> okay, having a hard time tracking with this these sermon illustrations. Can we get back into the text? Can you? Is it a huge amount of of trust and faith that holds you up, or is it the object of that faith? That's my question. The object of my faith would actually be Jesus Christ. Maybe he'll get there. The loaded question. In your notes, you'll see another blank. This is mine. God's opinion matters. This is what I trust in. This is my instrument. God's opinion matters. Um, yeah, I, I, it does. Um, what's his opinion, though? Can we talk about uh, God's opinion uh, that we're all sinners in need of a savior? Can, yeah. I trust that God knows the best for my life. I know that he has something, a purpose for my life. I know that he has called me to this city to do a purpose. So we're trusting that God has a purpose for you to do. How about that uh, you trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross by dying on the cross for your sins? This is supposed to be a, a Christmas sermon. It's you too, Christmas, vertigo. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. And that that I trust that what he is going to do with my life is going to be of value and it's going to help him establish his kingdom on this earth. Maybe you should trust that what Christ has done in his death and his life are what's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. Yeah, see, we're off. We're focusing on me and you rather than focusing on Christ, Jesus. We, you're supposed to proclaim Christ and what he's done. Exalt him. Jesus must increase. you got to decrease there, Pastor. I trust that. I believe that. In Mark 8, we read the, the, the words of Jesus. Man, that's good. It says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. That's a paradox. That's a place called vertigo. That's where we live. We followers of Jesus Christ, we live in vertigo. It's the only place, this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about, it is the only place that is completely upside down of everything we're taught by society. It is the only place where the only way up is down. It's the only place where to join a family, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to bear bear everything out to 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 become part of that. It's the only place to receive forgiveness. You have to confess your sins. Okay. Well, we're hearing something gospely sounding here, although it's being run through the law. It, it, uh, yeah, you have to admit you're a sinner, and uh, and the only way to be forgive receive forgiveness of sins is you have to. Yeah. The, uh, Kind of missing up uh, imperatives and indicatives here. But you, well, we've heard about sin and the forgiveness of sins, repentance. These are good. Those are good themes. Yeah, but we need to 
preach them and proclaim them biblically correctly. It doesn't make sense. It's the only place where unworthiness is a requirement. Completely opposite. The admission of guilt and sin and uh, allows this forgiveness of Jesus to come into our life. Okay, we're hearing something gospelly here. It doesn't make sense. If you lose your life, you'll have it. What does that mean? Your sinfulness is exchanged for righteousness. Okay, now there we go. There's, this is Now we're getting clearer. We're getting warmer. This is good. Your unworthiness is, causes you to be adopted in the sonship of God the Father. No, 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 no. My unworthiness doesn't cause me to be adopted in the sonship. No, no, no. It's Christ's righteousness, his worthiness, his shed blood that propitiate God's wrath and atones for my sins. Uh, that makes it so that I can be adopted as God's son. The, the, the only thing I contribute to my salvation is my sin. Uh, but that it's not my sin that makes me worthy. Got to be careful how you d- discuss the, the gospel here. You got to use some good biblical precision. It's important. In his family. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 35 says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. You know, there's a great price to pay. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you buy into this, this instrument that's pointing in the direction of life and you decide, I'm going to trust it and I'm going to follow my instruments, there's a price to pay. It's, it doesn't come free. God, uh, Jesus says right here, if you want life, if you want eternal life, if you want value of your life, you must first lose it. You must first lay it down. You must first submit it. You must be the servant of all. Bono talks about this. Notice here that all of a sudden all this gospel stuff is being turned into law, something you have to do. What about what Christ has done? What about what Jesus has done? Yeah, there's a huge price to pay. Uh, for my sins, huge price to pay in order for me to become a disciple of Christ and to be adopted into, into, uh, the family, into, into, into the family. That price was paid by Jesus Christ and it's his blood. Scripture tells us that God purchased the church with his own blood. This in this same interview, I want you to hear his words. You know, the church has historically always been behind the curve. It's amazing to me. And civil rights and, you know, fighting against the racism in the in the 60s and the 50s in the South and the United States and apartheid in Africa. I mean, you think, why is the church like this? And I think it's because the church is afraid of politics. And I, and I understand why, because a lot of very dangerous people have tried to use the church for political ends. And I understand why the church would be a little, just hold on a second. But, but we're not talking about politics in any partisan way here. We're working with the left and with the, the right. That's what the whole one campaign's about. Second part of it is less palatable, perhaps, um, which is, this the, the the church had been very judgmental about um, 
the AIDS virus in particular. And, you know, there was the sense of, well, these people have been living sexually irresponsible lives and it's very expensive to come to their, uh, to their assistance. And, of course, that is not acceptable. Um, it's certainly not acceptable by God. It will not be acceptable in history. It's annoying. Um, but it's like rather like, uh, you know, some, there's, been a, there's been a car crash. And the driver has fallen out of the of the vehicle, and there's a stink of alcohol, and you think, "Oh my God, is a drunk driver? Do you drive on? Do you, what do you do?" Well, maybe there are other points of view to think. Well, you had you had it coming. I'm off home for my supper, but the scriptures won't let you do that. Christ won't let you do that, and Christ won't let the church walk away from the. That's the message of Jesus. That's what he's saying when he's saying. No, that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins won by him on the cross. It's the good news. It's the gospel. I didn't hear the gospel in Bono's thing. I heard stuff that the church should should be doing, uh, a a valid implication of the gospel, uh, a fruit of the gospel, if you would. But that's not the message of Jesus. Saying to be great in the kingdom, you must be servant of all. He's saying when he's when he told his disciples, "We don't do it this way, guys. We don't live like that, guys." This is what he's saying. Uh, la la la. Here we go. This is the, where's the gospel? He's saying, "I'm not going to let you stand around while there are people who are dying and going to hell." While there are people who are dying of AIDS or starving to death or don't have a house to live in, when they don't have hope in their life, he's saying, I'm not going to let you, my church, stand around. I'm not going to let you turn a deaf ear. I'm not going to let you turn a blind eye. He's saying that we don't live like that. If you follow me, if you trust me, if you're following your instruments that are pointing you to the surface, this is what you do. You serve others. Every room, everyone in this room instinctively sees the provision of God, those things that he gives you as one of two things, seed or harvest. Um, to me, uh, huh? With me, that if you went out into the lobby next week and you went to guest services and you decided you were going to go pick up your ticket for your service that you were going to attend, and when you got there, you found out that someone in the church decided that they were going to help everybody out. And with every ticket, they were giving away a check for $5 million. Everybody who picked up a check got a check for $5 million with it. Now, I know, first of all, everybody would say, I love this church. I knew God brought me here. I, I followed him, and look, I came into church with a buck forty-seven, and now I got $5 bucks. right? Come on. Y'all wouldn't be excited. Every single person would see it one of two ways, seed or harvest. Some of you would see it as harvest. You'd say, man, I've been working hard. I've been tithing. I've been giving. I've been working, feeding people. I've been collecting coats for people who didn't have them. I've been teaching and, and doing all the things that I'm supposed to do. And God has blessed me. I got $5 million. Now. I'm, I'm not. Tomorrow morning when it's time to get up for work, I'm not going to get up. I'm going to roll over. Hit the snooze button. In fact, I'm not going to hit the snooze button. I'm going to turn. I'm going to 
mash the clock because I'm never getting up anymore. I'm going to sleep forever. I'm going to live like I want, how I want, where I want, with whom I want, and I can do anything I want to from now on. I got assets over here, and I got assets over there, and I got assets, and I'm proud of my assets, and from now on, I'm going to sit on my assets. A lot of you would say, this is it. I have arrived. I got my money. I, you God's blessed me. I'm just going to live till Jesus comes back. Some of you would see that same $5 million as seed. Some of you would look at it and say, look at this. Look at this money. You know, I've got a house. I've got kids. I've got a white picket fence, and I've got a minivan in my garage. I don't need anything else. Oh, this is just discombobulated law, man. Ugh. We heard tiny little gospely things in this sermon so far, but did I mention that this is supposed to be a Christmas sermon? My needs are met. Look at this $5 million. Look how many agencies in, in Sanford are doing things that are changing our city. Look how many people are in need. Look how many people don't have electric or their electric bill paid. Their water's being cut off. I, I, I read the, the, the church website and it said all these needs, people without furniture, people without food, people whose house are falling in. Look at all the things that I could do with $5 million. I could set up a fund. I could set up an agency. I could set up things to help people. I could literally quit my job and go around the city and just pray for people 24 hours a day. Look what I could do. You would see that as seed. You would see that, that God has given you something to change someone else's life. You know, I, I say that seed and harvest and I, you know, speak. you know, by the way, um, the way you serve your neighbor, it's in the vocation God has put you into. As husband, wife, mother, father, cubicle dweller, uh, waiter, waitress, uh, doctor, f- dentist, bus driver. You serve your neighbor in your vocation. You don't have to wait for the heroic thing to come up. You are serving your neighbor in what you do already. Speaking of this church, this church rocks. You know, this church is awesome. I've seen it time and time again uh, over the years that I've been here. There have been times where where we were building buildings or we were doing uh, mission work or we had some task and everybody stepped up and they made it happen and God blessed us and and the provision was there. And, you know, the people who had seed sowed seed. You guys are awesome. This coming year in January, uh, we we are going to unleash some lofty goals for 2008. There are some things like preaching the gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name to everybody in your community and all nations. Things that God is calling us to do. And we are not go- like the thing that God has called us all to do in uh, Luke 24. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name to all nations. We're going to walk away from our city. We are going to do what Jesus said. And we are going to serve and serve and serve until you guys are tired of serving. We're going to do those things. We're going to trust. Uh, sounds tiring. Too bad it's not. You're not telling them biblically how we serve our neighbor. Trust our instruments. And we're going to head toward the surface knowing that there's life there. But, but before we even unleash that, we're doing stuff in December. You've heard about it, talked about. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about it extensively. You guys have already been involved. But, but I'm going to tell you that just in December, because of you, over 100 kids who are at the bottom of the financial status in Sanford, 
the, the, the kids who are most likely to be left behind when they get to school will, know, will be at the head of their class. They will have a chance. They will have a chance to succeed. They will be uh, uh, educated higher than, than the kids who have all the money and all the books and all the computers and everything at their house because you. Because of you, families who are struggling. Can I challenge that? I mean, seriously. I mean, that sounds, I mean, really, I mean, amazing. I'd kind of like to know what program you're talking about here. I just, just wondering. Families who have had their electric cut off and water cut off and no heat, they, when they wake up on Christmas, they will have running water. They will have electricity. They will be able to turn on the lights and take a hot shower because you were, you saw your seed as money, as seed to give so that we can sow into these agencies. You know, because of you, because you Okay, listen, I am not against helping the poor and, and the needy. In fact, we Christians must, we should. How could we not? We are redeemed and we're in Christ. Our sins are forgiven, and we're now set free to serve our neighbor. I'm I'm all for that. But that's not the message of the gospel. We've got to keep that clear. Just because you give somebody a sandwich or ter- pay their electric bill doesn't mean that they're going to heaven or that you are for it. <sighs> Chose to believe in Mark 8, 9, and 10, where we're supposed to serve. And if we do it to the least of these, then we're doing it unto Jesus Christ himself. Because of you, there will be people who are no longer in the kingdom of darkness going toward hell, but they will be living in the kingdom of heaven and they will be right beside us because you chose to come and spend some time and to serve them, to serve them a hot meal, to, to take... And preach the gospel to them, right? Call them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, right? You know, time out of your life to go buy groceries, to sit down with somebody who doesn't smell very nice and talk with them and tell them there is hope, to give them the, the, the hope that they need to Jesus in their life. Because you dared to believe something that society tells us is exactly opposite. Because we actually... <sighs> This sermon is so, it's really, really convoluted. We believe here, the vision of this, we actually believe here that we can change this city. That Jesus Christ has come to turn Sanford upside down, no, right side up. That he has defined uh, uh, jobs and purposes and, and things that we're supposed to do here. And you guys have said, yep, I'm in. And I believe it and I'm going to put my hand to it. We're in a place called Vertigo. We who follow Christ, we who come to Brick City Community Church, live in this ever place of vertigo. Everything the world teaches us is exactly opposite of truth. It's exactly opposite of reality. And we must bring others to that truth. Let's pray. Lord, right? You know, you'd think since this is supposedly a Christmas uh, sermon, U2 Christmas, vertigo, we would hear about what Christ did for us poor, miserable sinners. How those who are poor in spirit are blessed of God because of what Christ has done. 
you know, Christ crucified for our sins, God and flesh made manifest, Emmanuel, you know, stuff like that. Instead, we got a, a pretty much a super heavy law-based sermon telling us that we need to go out and feed the poor. But the gospel wasn't had nothing to bear in that whatsoever. Really, really convoluted, sad, but boy, was it relevant. I mean, because that guy played that those Bono clips in that in that U two video. God's word doesn't need all the entertainments and trappings around it. Open up the text and really start preaching it and preaching Christ and Him crucified for our sins. That's what pastors are called to do. Ugh, anyway. All right, we are approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You can support us a few ways. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on our friendly Join Our Crew button. That's right, and uh, join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month, and right now we're looking, we're, we're in the middle of a drive to get a 1,000 of our listeners to join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to donate a flat amount, uh, you can do so by clicking on the donate button and or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what do you think? That was, a, I think it was a very convoluted sermon. It sounded like a nice guy. Having the law and you really tough to find the gospel. He said some gospely things, but I've got good news for you. As we rapidly approach the the season of Christmas, we here we are. We're halfway there in the season of Advent. Keep in mind, we've got great news to tell the world. Great news that was heralded by the angels themselves. That unto us is born a savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord, that is God in human flesh and come to die as a ransom for many. That's the message of Christmas. And it's for you and it's for me. Let us rejoice in this amazingly great news and share it with the world. The best good news of all time the one true God with whom we have been at war with and have disobeyed and rebelled against has won for us the forgiveness of all of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross, even for a sinner as wretched as you. Amen. Amen.